Hi, my name is Cecilia Atterval and I'm heading up marketing and communications for Ericsson Networks. Hello, my name is Sibel Bahadur and I'm head of the customer support offering Evolution and Ericsson. It is an ecosystem play, not an ecosystem play for an operator to succeed with 5G. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Network deployment and management is becoming increasingly complex as networks advance and are updated to support continuously more advanced 5G applications. Cecilia and Sabelle are here to talk about the evolution of our networks, but also how Ericsson's network service offerings have had to evolve in response to that. Cecilia, Sabelle, thank you so much for being here. Hi. Great to be here with you in the show. I'm so excited to have two guests because it means I get to ask my headlining question twice. Cecilia, let's start with you. What is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? Thanks for asking. And I've been reflecting a bit on your question, knowing it would come up in in your show. But the thing is, I don't primarily think of myself as a woman. I think of myself as an individual with my own strengths and weaknesses to build from and you know, it could be because of my upbringing. And even as a, as a child, I didn't think of myself as a girl or or, a, or a, even a child. Maybe because I was an only child, you know, daughter of two teachers, and they always treated me as an equal from the day I was born. And But of course, when I chose to study engineering and later I joined the ICT industry, it was, it was very clear to me that, you know, women were the minority. And, and I remember once when I was t- attending a mingling event uh, in conjunction to Mobile Congress in Barcelona, and, and one of the men asked me, you know, how I felt about being the only woman in the room. And, and then I realized that I was the only one who saw no woman in the room, because obviously I didn't even see myself. <laughs> and, and then I also realized what a responsibility, you know, you have as a minority, you have to represent sort of the whole group and help to pave the way for others. And as I moved to roles with more and more responsibility, I always reminded myself of, it was a young African colleague of mine who put it, you know, Cecilia, as, as you climb up, remember to put the ladder back down. Now, again, you know, when I think about uh, my team and now I have the pleasure of being the leader of a team with 50 50 gender distribution and and also a diverse group of more than 50 nationalities. It always comes back to me how important it is to see the unique individuals. And even if you're representative of a majority, I mean, even if you're one of those men in in a sea of, of gray suits, I don't know if they feel particularly empowered by that one either. So You know, I think it it comes back to, as a leader, also be able to see the unique aspect of people and not always through sort of the lens of of the gender or some other aspect of, of who someone is. It really comes down to the individual, I think. Thanks so much. And Sabelle, same question. Tell me how you felt empowered. Well, Catherine, Cecilia did a great introduction and I like the way she emphasized the unique strengths, regardless of the gender. And for me, empowerment means, I thought about the words as well, taking control of my life, 
and of course my career, setting ideas to identify what I really want from life and then taking actions to achieve those ideas. In this way, I have realized that I can have more impact on the world around me. So uh, being a woman helps me every day in an amazing way because I'm a mom of two sons and it's uber empowering. Although being a mother was not in my to-do list, so to say, uh, when I was younger, it's an everyday bliss to see how they are growing into beautiful humans and their aspirations can change the world for a better future. And that was the time I think I have realized that being a woman is being the future. And from professional perspective, uh, now I'm living in Sweden, but before moving to Ericsson headquarters, I had roles in uh, covering truly diverse geography and quite unfamiliar cultures to me as well, uh, where this diversity and the gender perspectives uh, were quite different. And then uh, one of the most impactful one was when I was uh, offered a critical regional role, the feeling that made me empowered was simply to be trusted. Because this is not really so common as a woman, as a young woman, especially in, especially in certain cultures, you're not just by default trusted. And I believe empowering women in giving opportunities at the younger ages, but more importantly, support them meanwhile. So great to hear both of your perspectives on that. But let's get into the tech part of this podcast, starting again with Cecilia. By mid-2021, roughly 170 service providers had launched 5G networks, adding 1 million subscribers per day, which is nuts. Can you talk to me more about the growth of 5G, both in terms of adoption, but also revenue? Thank you. So, well, I think given 5G is one of my favorite topics, I'm happy to. So first of all, if we start by comparing to 4G, 5G adoption is happening around two years faster than, than 4G. And at the end of this year of 2021, we will already have passed more than half a billion uh, subscribers. And you already said that that means, you know, adding something like 1 million 5G subscription per day during this year, which is an amazing number if you think about it. And some of the countries with the, which are leading when it comes to 5G adoption, like US, South Korea and China, all of them have more than 25% of, of the subscriptions being 5G. Also, in all of these three countries, as you asked about mobile revenue, it has actually increased some 2 to 3% in the last 12 months. And I think some of the key reasons for that is, first of all, that the 5G users consume a lot more data, two to three times more, in fact. You know, it's not the only way that the operators or the service provider would make more money, but also that they are providing some new services, like, for example, fixed wireless access over 5G. But, you know, on the other hand, not everything in 5G looks great. Uh, expectations on 5G technology and what it would bring to the consumers is generally high. And we have um, a research group inside Ericsson called Ericsson Consumer Lab who have really studied what consumers are saying about and users are saying about 5G all over the world. And, and we see that the early adopters of 5G say that they, you know, while they are satisfied with the network speeds, they would have hoped for more when it comes to innovation of services provided with the 5G plans. So, I mean, the positive aspect is that there is a lot of a big expectations on it, but it also, there is still a little bit of room to go to launch those new innovative services that people would have hoped for. Great. And Sibel, as 5G adoption climbs, as Cecilia mentioned, it's becoming 
increasingly important for operators to evolve their network services. What network services does Ericsson currently provide and how have these services had to evolve from 4G to 5G? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Catherine. Well, during the evolution from 4G and 5G, telecom operators have four challenges we should all know. First, the need for security is much higher than it has been. And the second, the 5G business opportunities with the industry 4.0 is out there, but there is a race for the best performance and the quality of service. And third is the rate of innovation. Our customers ask help for co-innovation or new ways to cultivate innovation, as Cecilia was also mentioning. So the fourth and the last one is the increasing pressure from the shareholders. There is a great focus on efficiency of the infrastructure and spend. Support specifically is the lifeline of the operator. As we have talked about the evolution of 5G and the market growth expectation by 2025, we want to combine our service capabilities and on the product side, the innovative solutions to fulfill the promise that we make through our solutions. The essence of the network services has always been the human-centric deployment and maintenance. It has always been like this, maybe more than a century. The, the first tiny network uh, was uh, founded. However, the challenge that I have mentioned from the telecom operators is competing the end-user experience through high-performing networks. So then we also know that in the recent maybe more than 10 years, the operators are having and, uh, pressures on the ARPUs as well. And they are in a pressure in terms of new technologies and the new CapEx investments too. So at this point, from the services perspective, we are excited to see that the telecom industry has realized the value of artificial intelligence. And then therefore, these evolved network services use artificial intelligence, deep learning, and analytics to detect and resolve the network issues before they impact the network performance and without increasing the cost of operations. Uh, we can provide intelligent fault isolation and troubleshooting in very complex and cloud networks where multiple generations, when we say multiple, because we still see 2G, 3G as well, in addition to 4G, 5G, and they're operating side by side in the multi-vendor environments. Cecilia, Ericsson delivers key components of 5G, like RAN, core, and related network services in five continents. Can you share with me some of the best practices that the company has discovered as its customers go live and expand their 5G networks? Sure, I'm happy to. So the first, I mean, the initial deployments that we saw around the world really, I think, prioritized use places rather than use cases. So, and that meant in most cases, urban locations. But now we are really supporting our customers to upgrade to fully performing 5G on all the radio sites. And many have this ambition to provide nationwide 5G coverage. And as you look to the more successful 5G operators, they, I think we see them taking a combination of strategies. So first of all, that coverage is vital, right? They need to build extensive 5G coverage. And I can come back and comment a bit more on that. But then we also see how they need to, you know, take advantage and bundle digital content that actually works on 5G. Could be video streaming, virtual reality, different kinds of games and so on. So you know, again, seeing that use use case for 5G. Targeting new segments is another approach and fixed wireless access, I think is sort of the 
the easiest go-get that they could work on. But not only is it about the new service, it's also about innovation in pricing, not only going back to those old data buckets, but also think about new aspects such as time-based. You would, for example, pay for an hour of gaming or something like that to really tap into the opportunity of what the new service actually brings. And then as a, as a final point, I think working with the ecosystem, finding the partners that matters for your offering, like, you know, the right, you know, the devices, the game platforms, the different enterprise platforms and so on. So it is, again, it is an ecosystem play, not an ecosystem play for, for an operator to succeed with 5G. And if I would then comment just, you know, a little bit on that coverage point, because it is so important. I think when when 5G was new, it often required, I mean, it always requires new hardware, especially if you have new frequency bands, then you need at some point new hardware. And, and you know, often it sometimes can be big and heavy and energy consuming. But in some of these areas, we have taken huge steps forward. And I think Massimo radios is maybe the more clear case. I mean, they used to weigh up to 60 kilos. You needed to reinforce your tower and have three people just to carry it. And now we have worked so hard and managed to reduce the size and weight to well below 20 kilos. So you could have one person carry two of them instead of, you know, one, you know, three people carrying one radio. And, and that also means a lot in the area of energy. So we have seen uh, customers coming back to us and report how they have, for example, Vodafone UK said saw a four, over 40% energy reduction when deploying one of these latest massive MIMO radios from Ericsson. Thank you for mentioning Massive MIMO because I do have a question here about that, actually. But before diving further into that, I want to turn back to Sabelle and ask about the growth of Bestoke private networks. How does Ericsson ensure service continuity and quality user experience in environments like private networks and mission-critical networks, even as these networks become more complex? You're right, Catherine. As networks are getting more complex, the reality of network services has already changed. And our industry is currently working on many different ways to enable guaranteed performance, as you mentioned, through dedicated private networks. But we also have other technologies like network slicing or mission-critical networks. So it's not surprising to see this variety of solutions to this unique problem. So the complexity is here, uh, but the solution as well. Data science is uh, for our benefit just on time. Our teams in Ericsson Network Services have heavily invested in developing our own special product near AI and ML software, which is known as Ericsson Network Intelligence. And we have created a global library of over 2,000 use cases. We love talking with numbers in Ericsson, so I will share more numbers now. Every year, we are adding nearly 10,000 new consumable data assets and that global knowledge assets are already counting at over a million today. And thousands of consultation requests are being digitalized by Omni interface with intelligent interaction capabilities. So our customers experts will be able to reach the required information in the fastest way. For more sophisticated networks, operators need strong end-to-end troubleshooting, which is a service continuously scans the huge number of network elements and also customer experience. Mm -hmm. When it comes to end-to-end -end troubleshooting and fault isolation, my agenda with my team is to be a partner of the telco operators and make them confident to say to their enterprise customers, 
our network is always on, always ready to serve your missions, including critical missions. So therefore, we are taking a big and exciting responsibility by enabling that. Okay. And as I promised, Cecilia, here is my Massive MIMO question. What makes Massive MIMO radios the perfect fit to address the significant traffic growth that is expected in 2025? I know you started to get into it, but what else can you tell me? Thank you, Catherine. I think maybe I should start by explaining what Massive MIMO radios really are. So they are these very powerful radios and antenna systems that can use, you know, between 16 to 64 transceivers. And that with that, they can create different beams. So to be able to send more data either to one user or send data at the same time to multiple users. So this is this is a they are a great tool to help increase the capacity in the network. And um, and we really need that, right? Because we are talking about a four-time traffic growth that we will see happening, you know, up to 2025. So we need those massive minor radios. And I also mentioned how the 5G users typically consume, you know, two to three times more data than 4G. And with that, we... But it's not only part of the massive MIMO, but in, in 5G, we also use much more spectrum. So typically we use bands of 100 megahertz compared to 20 megahertz in 4G, and that's five times more. And again, that translates into more capacity. But all of this also is requiring something. So as you add the many transceivers and the more spectrum, you get a lot of complex calculations that you need to handle in the RAM, mm-hmm. in the radio access network. So Actually, you would require up to 160 times more compute power in a massive MIMO radio than you would in the normal ones. So how do we deal with that, all of that then? So to be able to, to process all of that data uh, and, and to take care of the whole system, we actually build our massive MIMOs using our own ships. Mm-hmm. So th- that has allowed us to continue to reduce the size and the weight and the energy consumption. And, and now we're super proud to have an, a new, just recently announced uh, radio that only weighs 12 kilos. And it is the, 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 the secret sauce here, you know, that I was mentioning with our own chips is the Ericsson silicone. Mm-hmm. So the, the lightweight massive MIMO portfolio has been reducing its energy consumption with that because of the fact that we have our, our own uh, powered silicon and we have been able to reduce energy consumption more than 20% every year uh, since the first launch and with that it's possible to build both wider and wider 5G networks while having a smaller impact on the carbon footprint. And finally, Sibel, I know from previous conversations with you and some of your colleagues at Ericsson that sustainability and security are at the center of the services you provide. Why are these two pillars so important for Ericsson? And why are they so important for the overall communications industry as it continues to advance and expand? Yeah, indeed, Catherine. Thanks for asking that. My favorite topics to talk about. The way we solve our customers' issues has two implications in two major areas for Ericsson, as you mentioned, sustainability and security. I think we have a really solid attitude and also technological assets to help those important pillars. In the area of sustainability, we have high focus on reduced carbon footprint and energy consumption. We are enabling the operators with a sustainable growth journey. When I'm saying growth journey with the sustainable aspect, 
we are talking about breaking the energy curve by 2025 by co-creation, digitalization, and applying prevent, reduce, reuse, and recycle principle in everything we do while protecting the network performance. So we don't compromise from the performance while we are uh, improving the sustainability aspect. In other words, as an uh, analogy to our homes, we are changing, replacing our traditional bulbs with LEDs instead of just selling dimmers in order to adjust the uh, light itself. So we have capabilities in both software and hardware level uh, networks through network support and service continuity offerings. I'll give an example about how today we are proactively reduce operators' carbon footprint. With our preemptive way of fault isolation, we reduced site visits which is actually one of the main translations into the reduction of gas consumption for the transportation, which is traditionally needed just to do a regular site check, for example. And data-driven support can predict, preempt, and isolate any hardware issue to minimize the number of site visits up to 50%, which is a great uh, reduction. And even a more interesting example, we empowered intelligent services to shut down parts of the network while the traffic is low. So we can optimize an infrastructure to improve the energy efficiency while the data is still transmitting. And there are a lot of examples that I can give, but another way of sustainable growth is about the network is providing shared warehouses and shared spare parts, which is more physical um, advancements into the process. I think for me, these solutions are more critical than many other things we do uh, in our job. And for the security, uh, 5G network, uh, I mentioned at the very beginning of the podcast as well, 5G needs improved security, as you know, in people, process, and tools. And we have to continuously evolve our customer support services to stay ahead of this changing security needs. And a great example uh, would be the European market that we are also part of. The end users in Europe is extremely sensitive and also conscious about the privacy matters. And therefore, the regulatory bodies are structured to handle these concerns, such as GDPR rules and also other state-specific requirements as well. In many countries here, the operator data not only the subscriber data, the operator data is not allowed to leave the borders of the country. Mm -hmm. And as a global company like Ericsson, how can you leverage on our global presence? And also we have experts sitting everywhere in the world and address a sophisticated problem in the network within minutes without allowing those experts sitting in Hungary or Canada to access these network traffic logs. These are the cases that we are carefully addressing today and solving for our customers at the local dimension. Another aspect is the very popular one, the security use case about preventing hacker attacks. Mm -hmm. And of course, we are making sure the network is on the latest software releases and then the network is hardened in the best possible way to avoid any open doors to these uh, hackers. And when there is an attack, of course, we take the prompt action to secure forensics and get the network back to the normal operation as quick as possible. And um, 5G network is, in essence, is different than the previous Gs because it's not just a new communication platform. Both industries and also the governments will use it for digitalization. For example, digitalization of a health system, 
very sensitive grid systems for energy. And we, for example, have a customer who currently benefit from our service continuity service to provide high-performing secure network to a new smart manufacturing plant of a natural gas enterprise. So we have no chance to fail in terms of security. Thank you both so much for taking the time to be here and to catch me up on how Ericsson is responding to the growth of 5G and its emerging applications. Well Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com.